0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance
1: for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare Short-Term Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour Podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. This week, Emma Nat's still off, so it's me, Harriet Minter, and Carrie Grant. We meet Abda Khan, author of new book Razia, talking all about domestic slavery and human trafficking in the UK. Plus, Anita Asante, professional footballer, former Women England team, is here to talk to us all about football culture post the World Cup. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour Excel with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. would you know what it looked like if you met somebody who was caught in domestic slavery and if you did would you know what to do our next guest has written her second novel all about the issue and she's here to talk to us now about really why it's still an issue in the uk hi after Khan, lovely to meet you thank you for inviting me lovely to meet you too so tell us uh, for anyone who hasn't read the book it's called razia it's out now um give us the kind of outline of it so um
3: uh, Razia is all about um, uh, a lawyer who lives in works in London and she goes to um, a very sort of upmarket kind of dinner party, kind of works do, and there she accidentally comes across um, a, a young woman who she thinks is been kept as a modern-day slave. Um, so she starts investigating and trying to rescue this girl um, but in rescuing her, she kind of like puts her life in more jeopardy because um, she's dealing with um, quite sort of strong forces that she doesn't really comprehend at the beginning. Um, and what she finds out is that this this domestic slave in London is actually from a family of bonded slaves in Pakistan. So, so the novel explores two types of two different
2: types of modern day slavery. Yeah. So for people who don't know, because. I am aware that there is a domestic slave trade that goes through cities like London, goes through the UK, but... I'm probably, I'm ashamed to say, I'm probably sort of a little bit naive about it. So for people who don't know, what do we mean when we're talking about domestic slavery? And what do you mean when you talk about bonded slavery? Right. So
3: the Home Office estimate there are around 13,000 modern day slaves in the UK at the moment. But that's probably a gross underestimate, to be honest. When you say modern day, do you mean sex slavery as
4: well as domestic? Yeah,
3: all kinds of slavery. Yeah. So um, you've got forced labour, you've got... um, sexual trafficking and slavery you've got um domestic slavery like this book tackles um domestic slavery comes in so many different forms and there are about 40 almost 48 million slaves in the world at the moment that's according wow. to the global slavery index so I chose domestic slavery because it's one of the most hidden. I think it's one of the most difficult to detect. Um, It also deals with human trafficking because this girl is trafficked from Pakistan to the UK. And about 80% of human trafficking victims in the world are women. Um, uh, 71% of all modern-day slaves are women. Uh, one in four are children, so the figures are really quite shocking when you actually start looking into them. And then the bonded slavery was something again that a lot of people don't know much about, and it's a generational form of generational form of slavery, where maybe two or three generations ago. Uh, maybe the great grandfather would have signed. A literate man would have signed uh, an agreement to say, um, "He work. At- this is set at brick kiln. He'll work at the brick kiln until he repays the debt." But unfortunately, it's just a thumbprint. They don't understand what they're signing, and it's extortionate rates of interest. And then what happens is they work like like, 18 hours a day to pay off a debt that they can never pay off because yeah. every time they need medicine, they need to take out more money from the feudal landlord. Every time they need, uh, like, if there's a birth or a death or anything of the ordinary, they, they need more money. So the debt just continues to grow and they get paid very little in just... Maybe barely enough for food, um, and the children don't go to school. They all work on the brick kilns, and so it's generational. Yeah, it's generational, and it, it passes from generation to generation. So uh, you know, it doesn't die with the person when they die. So the debt just continues. Um, so it's and the thing. The reason why it's so hidden is it, it's quite. Com- it's very common in Pakistan, India, some parts of Africa, Bangladesh. But um, like for example, with Pakistan, the bricks are made for domestic consumption. So they bypass all international standards of, you know, workers' welfare or, you know, children being educated Mm. and things like that. So, and there's a lot of corruption involved. So the novel explores two different sides of slavery that I just thought were quite, uh, weren't very well, you know, written about or known about.
4: I think that's really interesting that this concept, because when we think about bonded slavery, we think, oh, that's abroad somewhere in a country yeah. I don't really understand. Yeah, and yeah. But then Doesn't relate to if me. you think we're sitting here in the heart of London yeah. and within a quarter of a mile of where we are, there's probably uh, domestic slaves. You've there? probably
3: come across a domestic slave. So there's been some... Really high-profile cases in the last few years. I don't know if you know about the Rooney case, for example. No, that it was tends a to case um, where a, a family had enslaved about, I think it was about twenty men. Um, that they, what they'd do is they target vulnerable men, so they'd go to soup kitchens or they'd go outside homeless shelters or places where homeless young men gather or even older men actually, and they would recruit them and say, "Would you like a job? Would you like a roof over your head? Oh, great. Okay, so if you're homeless and you." have nowhere to sleep and you Mm. have no family. Uh, It sounds like a really good prospect. So what they then used to do was they used to make these guys work. This is here in the UK, by the Mm -hmm. way. They used to make these guys um, tarmac drives and lay lay drives and not pay them anything and keep them on their land in these caravans in really squalid conditions, like disgusting uh, four or five men sharing in one caravan, um, beat them, abuse them um and these were these were young men who already had nothing and they were just trapped um until the police actually investigated it and then jailed the family that were involved
2: so how do we know when somebody is being kept in this way because you know, I can imagine if somebody had come to lay my driveway and they were laying my driveway in, I would just think, well, they're being employed by someone. Yeah, so it's quite common. So in the UK, it's
3: quite common in in the building industry in nail bars, um, car washes... So first of all, if it's if the price is too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true, and probably somebody down that chain is paying yeah. the price for it. Also, you just look look for signs like do do workers sort of travel in one got you know do they travel in in know together at odd hours really early in the morning late at night um, look at their clothes. So if you go to a nail salon, for example, if they're reluctant to engage in conversation. Um, that's it's, just about every nail yeah, salon you ever get. Yeah, go to. but, you yeah. know, if, they, if, they, if their clothes look don't look fit for purpose, for example, at car washes, yeah. um, there's lots of telltale signs. If they don't have many, many personal possessions, for but example. Isn't, there, isn't the one like, that you're talking about in your book, isn't
4: that someone that's actually working in a yes, house? Yes, in like a house. As a, so that's either really... as looking after the children or looking after the yeah. house, like yes, a housekeeper type Yeah, person. so she's a
3: housekeeper. So I guess that's the hardest to detect. So yeah. even in a nail salon or a car wash, or, or you know, if somebody's coming to let you dry, you might get some telltale but it's surprising how many people miss telltale signs um you know and police have investigated n- nail salons uh and yep. car washes and prosecuted and people will have driven t- every day to those car washes and had their cars washed not not open their eyes and looked at like what these people look like who are washing their car washes what's their behavior like do they look do they look camped do they look you know, also well, you don't just want to go up
4: to someone and no. say, I hate to just, I'm just are checking. You, yeah. Yeah. Are, you, are you are you enslaved? Here. Yeah, yeah. there is a awful. modern
3: slavery helpline that you can ring. Um I haven't got the number right with me, but there is a modern slavery helpline. If you Google it, you can get the number and you can ring. And even if you're just concerned, you can speak to them and say, look, I was at this car washer. I was at this nail salon. Mm. I, I don't know how to approach this person, but I think there might be an issue here. And then
2: they will work with the police to investigate it. It's really interesting. So a few years ago I was living in a flat in London and just around the corner was um, a massage parlour. Like and I, in my absolute innocence, took it at face value as a massage parlour. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I'm already I'm already clear you know? <laughs> into this one,
2: yeah. <laughs> And um uh it was a kind of new year's eve a few years ago and i had a friend coming to stay who had just broken up with her boyfriend because she discovered that he was a sex addict and sleeping with prostitutes and i said go and take yourself for a nice relaxing massage to the (laughs) massage parlor around the corner and she's waiting in there and she calls she texts me and she's like harriet you know, you've just sent me to a brothel. I'm oh like, god. No, yeah. no, 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 I haven't. No, it's a lovely, it's a really nice massage one. You'll really love it. It's lovely. She's like, Harriet, it's definitely a brothel. I thought like, you're being ridiculous. So I went in and I was sat there waiting with her. And in the kind of ten minutes that we were waiting, about five or six men came in, didn't even say hello, just went straight down the stairs. We're by girl, another man came back up, went out again. Quick massage. Yeah, yeah, quick massage. And it was all these young Thai girls who were running it and I had this moment of sitting there thinking, I don't know what to do about this because maybe you're here of your own free will, but... I don't know that. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Quite often the the victims don't see themselves
3: as victims so yeah. because you know if they've if they've been brought over here and they're getting some sort of a salary like maybe a small amount compared to what they were getting yeah. back home um, maybe they feel indebted to the person even though they treat them really badly quite often they don't see themselves as a victim yeah. even though they are so it's it's quite a complicated picture really might yeah. they be
4: frightened that they would just be sent home yes that's yeah.
3: the other issue so they have their documents usually their documents are taken off then their passport etc and they do feel they do feel fr- not only frightened of that person who's uh, you know they kind of you know held captive yeah. in a way but they're also frightened they're going to get sent back home um, and you know, sometimes there are there's a far reach back to the country where they've got sort of goons there who will who will maybe mm-hmm. attack the family if you know that, that kind of thing. So it's quite complicated.
2: Okay, we're going to keep talking to Avtar about this issue. I think it's fascinating. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. After before the break, we were talking about kind of what to do if you think that you have come across someone in a modern day slavery situation for you when you started writing this book how much did you know about it uh well I didn't know anything this is how it happened because
3: I just <clears throat> I just I read a I think it was a BBC online article I came across just by accident um like you know you're browsing sometimes you see this yeah. and, I, and I started reading it and I thought oh wow I, I feel like I'm quite you know good with like what's going on in the world or what's going on in Britain today, but I felt like I didn't know much about the subject at all. And then I started reading more, and I started reading about more different types of slavery and slavery around the world, and the more I read... The more horrified I was, then the more intrigued I was, and then it, it just kind of like I just carried on and on, and then I sort of decided my next novel has to be about modern day slavery because I haven't read a novel about modern day slavery, and I've not I don't really see any fiction out mm. there that really deals with it, uh, not even movies or you know you don't re- it's not really tackled very much. You get sort of documentaries sometimes or you know sort of academic writing maybe
2: looking into a little bit now, but you don't really get much fiction I think. Did you, when you started writing about it, did you find that that thing happened where you started to see it everywhere? Yeah, I
3: think I've, every time I drove past a nail salon, I was thinking, mm. I wonder if, you know, and every time I went past a car wash, I was thinking, you know. But I think th- the thing with modern slavery is that. The, the statistics are so shocking that it's almost unbelievable. You're almost tempted to think it can't be true. And things like human trafficking, people have these misconceptions that human trafficking is being trafficked from country to country. It's not. Human trafficking exists here in the UK. Yeah. Girls get trafficked. Um, guys, mm-hmm. Older men will pretend to be their boyfriends for a little while and then they will lure them away from their homes or their families and then they'll be forced into prostitution and then they will be bagging heroin all day and then they will be or being injected with it, and they will be servicing men, six or eight men, all night. So it's this happens here in the
2: UK as well. Well, it's what we saw. Shocking, we had Maggie Oliver in uh, last week, and it's what we saw with the Rochdale scandal, really, yeah. wasn't it? Which was yeah. young girls being taken from their town to other parts of the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. Abdul, when you talk about because you were a lawyer or you are a lawyer, yeah. aren't you yeah. working with victims of domestic violence? And then you've made a written as your second book, but it's about slavery it, and and women. Yeah. Has that always been something that's been really important to you?
3: Yeah, I th- really. I think what happened was about five years ago um <clears throat> i was um I had a client come into my office and she'd she'd come for a divorce and then as I scratched the surface to try and sort of get to the bottom of what had been going on, I realised that she suffered. She'd, she'd actually been raped by an um, extended member of the family when she was about early, early teens. And then she and then the family had covered it up. She'd got no support and then she'd been forced into a marriage and then she'd suffered abuse throughout her marriage. And then sort of 20 years later, here she was like, finally, you know, with the, she said, I found the courage now to actually do yeah. something about what's happened to me. But it made me think that there isn't much out there that depicts the sort of real issues that women have to deal with, and I know and I know it's not all women, but a lot of women do go through some form of abuse you know in yeah. their life. Uh, you know and it made me think about um, how little fiction there is, and that's yeah. what made me write my first novel stain.: So you actually yeah. chose to do that so that you
4: could spread the news in a kind of creative way. yeah, that, yeah. yeah I great. feel as
3: though fiction's a great tool to spread awareness about issues. I am an issues writer and, and I, yeah. I won't admit to being anything other than that because I haven't got a creative writing background. I haven't done an MA in creative writing. I haven't, you know, none of that. I just, I just sort of... Because what happened was I looked to see if I could find a novel that kind of dealt with these issues mm. in Britain and I couldn't find anything and that's what prompted me to write my first novel. And it's the same with Modern Slavery. It's when I came across the issue, I felt so passionately about it, I thought, OK, no one's writing about it, I think I will. And does that
4: work, your writing work, has that now overtaken your law?
3: Uh, Yeah, well not 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 really I think I still have to work for a living <laughs> unless I make it big with this novel I have to work I'm for a living I'm just
4: thinking about off air you were saying it took yeah. you a year to write the book yeah I was thinking, it did that's...
3: but sort of I, I, I write at night and I write like I write as, after I've done everything else I need to do then I sort of write I write in bed actually and I just I just write into the early hours and that's mm. that's always how I've written um I think I do my best writing at night when the house is really quiet and everyone's asleep and there's no noise yeah. It's
4: led to lots of awards for you. Looking here, you've got the Muslim Woman of the Year award in twenty nineteen. You were highly commended in the twenty seventeen NatWest Asian Women of Achievement Awards. Amazing,
3: yeah. It's it's so lovely to be recognised. Don't know how that happened, but um, obviously, if if you if you are doing stuff that needs to be done, I think I think there is a need for raising the profile of difficult issues and sometimes maybe Muslim women aren't at the forefront of raising the profile of diff- difficult issues not only within their own community but just generally I don't feel as though it's an Asian novel or a Muslim novel I feel as though uh, you know love, hurt, betrayal, yeah. um, injustice um, is, is, is universal you know everybody can relate to those themes it doesn't matter which one. What's, what's the been the response in
4: your community then how do they feel about the fact that you're writing about this stuff?
3: Um, I've, on the whole, do you know, I had had a really good response. I have not, I've not had um, very many difficult conversations. I've had one or two. I've had like, I was, at a, I was at an event in, it was actually in San Francisco once. I was doing a book event and uh, a few men kind of said, oh, this doesn't really happen in our communities, does it? Mm-hmm. And, and, and when mm-hmm. I sort of, when I told them the stats and I told them, you know, as a personally that, you know, cases I've dealt with, I think it's about fighting people with knowledge and and facts and educating people because sometimes people do think that, oh, DV doesn't exist or, you know, slavery doesn't exist because we all like to live in a bubble and pretend that outside of our bubble, these things don't happen. It's like we don't... So that we're not responsible for other people. But i am mm. now worked in the helpline with Women's Aid. And when women are ringing, cowering in their back garden, um, frightened yeah. um, because they've been beaten in front of their child this morning mm. and they need to do something about it, mm. I feel as a society we've failed. Because why Why do we not know? what? Why do they yeah. feel like they have nobody to turn to? How what? does that affect
2: yeah. you? How do you like, carry that? Because, yeah, I... I am aware, I'm obviously aware of all this stuff happens and I sometimes find myself, you know, I get to a point where I'm very angry or I am very depressed or I am yeah. very, I'm kind of incapable almost of being with the sheer size and weight of that issue.
0: Yeah.
2: How do you manage it? Yeah,
3: I think, I think I'm pretty good at managing. I think I'm quite like Teflon-like in a way. Um, I am pretty good because I think I've seen so much of it. I think you, I'm not immune to it and, and I, and I, I will sometimes be affected by it. I remember once when I was on the helpline, there was a call, a call from uh, the sister of a girl who'd rung a few days ago, who'd actually been... Tra- another case of trafficking, she'd been trafficked. Um, and when she tried to escape the guy, he'd beaten someone, which she'd put her into a coma. Mm.
0: Um,
3: and that, uh, you know, that case really got to me. Um, you know, she was only 15 when he'd lured her away mm. from home. And the the, the the level of control he'd had over her and that she just couldn't get away from him. She tried to get away, but he found her, he hunted her down, and he. so she was, like, fighting for her life. And I think cases like that always do get to you, and it did come home, and I did cry about that one, Mm. because I felt nothing I could do. I felt like I would like to help everybody, but I can't, so... I guess
4: writing is almost an outlet to try and get some of that
3: out, you know I'm i have to tell you that after i wrote stained stained was published in the u.s i couldn't get a publisher to publish it here no. um because i got i got reje- nice rejections like no matter how worthy it is how good the writing is we don't think there's a market for it but after stained a lot of women contacted me through my website saying we're well, talking about their experiences the fact that they'd been raped but so many even, even said they'd we're going to go to the police as a result of reading the novel. So for me, yeah, for me, that's that's amazing because for me, I've changed somebody's life. Somebody has read that novel and they've gone to the police um, because, you know, previously because of honour, so-called honour, they felt like they couldn't go to the police um, because they felt like, you know... Uh, their family's honor would be tarnished, wherever it was. But stained is a very sort of feminist message. At the end, it's a very powerful message to young women and to all women that you know, no matter what happens, you can rise, you can rise above it, and you can you can sort of get through it.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so I think for me that was really, for me as a writer. That was just, there's nothing can match that. Nothing can match some your words having so much power that they uh, d- directly call somebody to take some action like that. So I'm hoping the same thing will happen with, with Razia and, you know, people maybe will be become more aware of modern slavery or, or think about it. And actually the reviews that have come in, thank God, really good reviews so far. <laughs> uh, and people have said, uh, reviewers, book bloggers have said, you know what, we, we're going to think about this issue anew and we've not thought about it before. And it's really sort of opened our eyes. Yeah.
2: Do you have a topic you want to tackle next? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Question. I don't know. (laughs) Do you go from (laughs) here? I don't.
3: I. I I don't know. A few topics come to mind. I think gaslighting is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently um mm. just as a specific topic but thinking about ideas and turning them into novels is, a, is like a is a massive leap so how you turn an idea into a really compelling story um a page turner that people you know people just want to keep reading i don't know haven't really the only issue that's come to my mind recently is gaslighting and uh, there's been a lot of uh i think there's that sally i forget her surname the conviction that was uh that was quashed. The murder that was yes, I know who you that, mean. Yes, yep. which manslaughter. I think that was a case of gaslighting, if
2: I remember correctly. An abuse. It's um, such an interesting topic, actually. Gaslighting. I was um, in a Uber having a chat with my Uber driver, as you do, a few weeks ago, and he brought up the subject of gaslighting because everyone else wanted to do I I'm a journalist? What is it, <laughs> yeah, is it, it's literally what he said. He was like, you know, this gaslighting, what gaslighting thing? thing. What is darling? that about? <laughs> and i was trying to explain to him he's like well think it's like this is how i see it he's like, well basically um you know every week i like to go have a little flutter on the horses and so i kind of take 50 quid out of the kitty and i go have a flutter and every week my wife's like where's that money gone and i tell her she must be going crazy because it was never there in the first place so <laughs> that's not that bad is it i just don't want to have an argument about going and have a bit of a gamble and i was like on the one hand Lying to your wife once about it is not that bad, is Okay, like, that's okay. Every single week, yeah. telling her she's crazy because she has noticed that money is going missing, which is actually going missing—that's <laughs> gaslighting.
3: Yeah, I guess it depends on your intentions, yeah. doesn't it? And I think if your intention is to mentally torture and abuse that person yeah. through gaslighting, then that's a really serious thing. And I think for too long, people haven't taken it seriously. Yeah. So it's it's one of those topics that I've been
2: thinking about for a little while, but I don't know. I don't mm. know. Maybe
3: I'll read something else and think. Oh, I'll write about something
2: else. I don't know. <laughs> I look forward to hearing you all about yeah. your next book. It is, uh, if you haven't read it, Razia, it's fantastic. It is out now. Um, it really gave me food for thought and made me think about, particularly just as I walk. Like you said, when you walk down the street and you start to think about actually. Yeah. Where is potentially modern day slavery? I haven't seen it, so thank you for that. Abdakar, it's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you for having me. Thank Thank you. you.
1: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother
5: figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love.
0: The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's
2: Hour XL on Talk Radio. I don't know where you've been if you've missed the Women's World Cup. Even I, a (laughs) non-football fan, have been hooked to the Women's World Cup. And we are very lucky that we have a women's football superstar in the studio with us now. We have Anita Asante. Hello, welcome. Hello. Thank Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, Tell us, what do you think of the
5: response to this year's World Cup, do you think it's going to change women's football? Yeah, I mean, that's what we're all hoping for. It's yeah. definitely been unbelievable, um, the attention that's been brought to this tournament in France and as obviously yeah. back here at home. Um, you know, the, the social media has been off the blast and, you know, all the controversial moments have been... And Anyone who's been interested in the game or not interested in the game has been tuned in, so... This feels like the year that women's football
4: broke through, I'm yes. sure, and maybe it, it did before, but to the masses.
5: Absolutely. To the,
4: you know, to everyone. Yeah.
2: You can't, you can't avoid it, you, you know, no, the last few it's been weeks. been everywhere. Um, tell us a little bit
5: about your career. How did you get into football and how did you know you were going to go pro? Um, well, I got into football when I was really young, like 13, 14. I started at Arsenal and I was in the centre of excellence. And before that, I had no idea that women actually or girls played football. Did you do it at school? So, I, yeah, I played at my school, luckily. I used to play in the playground with the boys. And then um, I think by the time I reached year nine or something, my head of PE decided to make a football team. So then we actually had a wow. you know a girls team at school. Um, so, yeah, that was my first experience of that. And then I got into Arsenal and just went through all the age groups. And then, yeah, and then from then on, it, I just kind of went with the flow. <laughs> Did mean, it feel like a viable career back then? No, absolutely not. I mean... I never thought I'd be a professional footballer ever. Not all those times I played for Arsenal, you know, being a big yeah. club and yeah, competitions, I was still like, oh, I'm going to go to university. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a physio. I'm going to, you know, it's I had... almost seen as a
4: second career. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
5: How, what's it like being a woman
2: in such a traditionally male sport? Do you think the women get treated differently?
5: Yeah, I I do think that happens. I think look at the wage packet. Yeah, (laughs) for a start. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that (laughs) alone. Of course, if you're talking about resources, you know, training facilities, opportunities, all of those things, then yes, definitely. But I think that we're starting to see definitely a development in that area and people starting to invest more, take it more seriously and want to push the game as a whole forward. And obviously, that's what Adobe Stock Campaign is all about, is redressing that. So tell
2: us about the Adobe Stock Campaign, because this is about thinking about the visuals that we have around football,
5: right? Yeah, Yeah, just basically highlighting the roles of women throughout the football industry and just, you know, trying to shed light on all the different aspects of that in empower young girls and women um to obviously follow the footsteps of those of us that are involved in the game yeah. do you think
2: there is um so i'm thinking about the the thing that's been kind of coming to me over the last few years is around megan rapino and her um i deserve this on the top of the bus <laughs> after she had won the women's world cup and everyone being like oh what, ugh, who is this <laughs> loud-mouthed American and obviously she is a loud-mouthed American sorry American listeners um but that's a kind of standard guy behavior you know that's like if you're a footballer and you're celebrating with your arms out wide you've scored a goal yeah like, yeah yeah that we would just consider that completely normal behavior from the
5: boys right absolutely and I think you know it- everyone's, in, they're individuals at yeah. the end of the day and they have their own personalities and I've played with Megan of, you know, yeah. I know what she's like and, you know, why not? You know, this is the biggest, one of the biggest moments of her career. She should be able to, yes, it's to good share that. Yes, you know. <laughs> absolutely. And absolutely, you know, show everyone, yeah, like, I feel like I deserve this. I worked hard for this and, I, you know, and celebrate. And I also think
2: there's something really powerful about that image, which is of that classic kind of football celebrating a goal or a win image of, you know, arms out wide running. To see a woman doing that... Mm. It, feel, it feels kind of radical, which is astonishing in two thousand and nineteen
4: <laughs> when you were coming into the sport were there was it were there people that were inspiring you i 'm thinking about this uh, these photos that have been done mm. saying you know ninety seven percent of the the pictures have been male yeah. so far, so therefore were there people
5: that you just thought I just want to be like her, I want to be able to play like that i mean the interesting and sad thing in a way is that i my idols at that time were, like, men, they male were football, males, yes, football exactly. players. I think the first time I came across a big female star was Mia Hamm uh, for the US national team. And then I was like, oh, there are female stars <laughs> out there who play football. Um, but, yeah, they were predominantly male, you know, icons that I looked up to, aside from, you were talking about the Williams sisters earlier, yeah, yeah. who I also was truly inspired by, even though they weren't in my sport. Um, I looked to them as as role models as well. It's important, isn't it, that we can identify. My daughter yeah. is um, the
4: first black autistic girl uh, to do a TV drama. She's in Hollyoaks. And uh, she says there was no one. When she, when she was growing up, there were no autistic women for right. a star and yeah. certainly none that were black. So yeah. I think it's really important to be, to be able to
5: identify yourself somewhere out there in sport
4: media culture
5: mm. arts yeah absolutely i agree 100 percent. just to see someone who's uh, who, who looks like you maybe behaves like you or just shows you a pathway that is reachable achievable yeah. when you don't have that visibility you don't always know what the possibilities are and what doors you need to knock down, or if it's even there, a door for you to walk into. So, yeah, I agree. It's it's really important. Now you've become that for the next gen. <laughs> Do you feel a lot of pressure around
2: that? Does it feel like you have <laughs> yeah, to kind point. of like suddenly everyone's looking Represent, at you? Yeah. Like I have to, I have to deal with all the issues. I have to be responsible for speaking up on everything. I have to also keep everyone happy. Does it, does it feel like a lot of pressure?
5: I think. Um, there are obviously moments where i've maybe felt like that and i think when i was younger i didn't think about any of that it's only as i've gotten older and i recognize the platform i have that i i start to think about those things but i do think now i i think it's important that i'm here and i exist and i'm visible for others and i hope that like there are going to be many more just like me that show up and are even better you know and and (laughs) take on all these issues as well so yeah visibility in in all areas and domains domains is super important um you said when uh, Raheem
2: Sterling came out and talked about racism in sport you kind of backed him and said it needs to be discussed Mm.
5: what was the response for you like to that to be honest I I got quite positive response I didn't get any negative response in and around my camp at least um and on social media and twitter Twitter and stuff where i'm pretty active yeah. i didn't really get that much negative response but um uh, yeah i i like to discuss these things i think i'm a little bit opinionated sometimes but uh, like i'm willing to but yeah it's just important that you know there is a space to have this, these discussions and everyone comes from different perspective and backgrounds and sometimes you know all of us have moments where you don't always recognize maybe your ignorance to something because you don't live it so to have those shared stories and experiences are important so and that's what these photos are about aren't they because they have do they not have
4: stories that go alongside yes how does it work just to talk us through that
5: yeah so there are images of you know myself players coaches referees agents and it's just about sharing their stories you know, maybe how they got involved in their profession, and their career, and just shedding light on that and, and showing them in their realness, really, and not presenting another image of what the norm is, of, like, what a woman should be in sport industry or in general. So, you know, you have pictures of me just in my football kit kicking a ball or sweaty or whatever, and, yeah. you know, an agent collaborating with a player or something like that. And is uh,
4: your story alongside your photo?
5: Yes. So what's your story? Well, my story's a long one, but <laughs> no, just my story is just, you know, I was a tomboy, I loved playing football, I didn't really think about all these nuances outside in society that you can't do this or can't do that until it became apparent that people did have opinions on those you have to things. 10 other girls yeah. around you yeah. to make it work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but it didn't matter because the sport sort of drew, drew me in and I wasn't able to stop. And uh, just, you know, I've been fortunate enough to play as long as I have and get the experiences at international level and play abroad and all those things. And I wouldn't have been able to do those things, I don't think, without my sport. So this campaign is, is great because it's going to project these images on a global scale and try to tackle some of these issues and also redress the balance of coverage of of, of women in football and the football industry but in sport in general yeah i love that it's not just the football
2: Um, how do you think these images will change football do you think they'll change the culture within it do you think they'll change how because hopefully they're going to change how media represents it and when i look at you know when i looked at the coverage of the women's world cup i was like okay there's there's a little bit of you know some surprisingly strong and you know have like things like that which I was like oh um but I feel like we're moving towards an understanding of the words and terminology that we should be using when describing women in sport but the rest of the game how would you like to see it change
5: obviously more money
2: but apart <laughs> from that
5: well no just that you know people I guess accept the game it's a game of football the rules are the mm-hmm. same the pitch is the same you know, you you come in to see a spectacle. You come in to see the best players at international, national team level, and domestic level. And it's something for everyone to enjoy. Young boys, you get a family girls, audience.
4: What is your what's what's the? Uh, it's not an audience, is it? What do you do? Sorry, I'm such an artsy person. <laughs> 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 what what are those audience when you, when you audition for that team? Yeah. What, so so who who comes to watch a match when it isn't the World Cup? Like who's yeah. who's generally watching those matches?
5: Yeah, I mean, typically, of course, it's families and their kids. Um, but now you, you're starting to get factions of men, of you know, yeah. middle-aged men, older men, starting to come to the games and be loyal, sort of dedicated supporters. Team, yeah. and, I, and I think that's the one thing I really recognised at the World Cup was that there was such a wider audience, not just families. Yeah. Great. Anita, thank
2: you so much for coming in and joining yeah. us. We've loved talking to you. Anita Asante, professional footballer, all-round superstar, total badass, here on Badass Women's Hour XL. <laughs> this has been the badass women's hour podcast with me harriet minter natalie campbell and ms sexton if you want to hear more from us you can come follow us on social media at badass women's hour hr um or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us we really need to feel the love five stars should do it
1: selling a little or a lot